Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. So when a couple gets married on their wedding day, there's these expectations about their marriage that that are really almost pie in the sky. They're really more about fantasy sometimes than reality. It's not that the wedding vows are bad. It's not that the wedding commitments are bad. They're actually fantastic. But we almost live like we made that decision and it's going to be that perfect marriage without work. But then real life sets in later on and we figure out that marriage takes work. But I'm here to tell you, really, there are only two questions that you need to ask yourself in your marriage to make your marriage work correctly. So if you find yourself with some anxiety, if you find yourself with some disconnectedness, if you find yourself really not as in love as what you used to be, ask yourself these two questions. And the answer to this will make all the difference in your life and in your marriage. Well, we're going to do that over the next uh, couple of sermons that I preach as we talk about the two questions. And today I want to preach on this subject. I'm going to call it the beyond question. Now, what I'm going to do today is look at several verses of Scripture. So I'm not going to put any up on the screen. When I, when I give them out to you, I will... Um, talk to you about where they are, and you'll be able to write them down then. So let's, let's ask ourselves, when it comes to our marriage, two questions. Today, the beyond questions. Like, questioning yourself is a good idea, right? Questions can be good, questions can be bad, questions can be neutral. Like, I'll give you an example. What is a good question? Here's a good question. Where would you like for me to deposit your lottery winnings, right? That's a good question, Right? What's, what's the example of a bad question? How about that one? Um, how would you like to pay your fine? Doesn't matter what it is, but it's not a good question. Here, here's a neutral question, or I say neutral question, but in marriage it can be quite controversial. But I call it a new, neutral question. That is, what's for dinner, right? Like that can, that can cause all kinds of issues, but let's just say uh, that. And then there are absolutely pointless questions that there's ever, never any need to ask. Questions like this, did Tennessee win yesterday? It's just a pointless question. You should never ask that question because we always know the answer, right? Like, like if you're a parent, for example, questions are a real part of life. It starts at 6 a.m. when they wake up and it doesn't stop until bedtime and they did some research on it and here's what they found out. That curious children ask a staggering 73 questions a day. How many of you think that's low? Let me see your hand. Like that, that's probably low. And, and studies show that parents struggle answering more than 50% of those questions. Now they say dads get asked the most question, but mothers in general, when they counted, get asked 413 questions a week. 413 questions. And some of them you just don't know what to do with. Some, some parents, um, they put up, uh, that's why I love social media sometimes, that helps uh, uh, 
uh, you know, when you're doing some sermon research. And so some parents put up questions their kids ask, like uh, this mom, she put up, my four-year-old asked me if I'd fit in a trunk. And suddenly being put in a nursing home doesn't sound so bad. <laughs> Why are you asking, kid, if I fit in a trunk? Or, or how about this one, this dad, uh, Jason, he said, my daughter just asked why we say hang up the phone and now I feel 90 years old, right? Because uh, they don't know why we say hang up the phone. Have you ever thought about that? And then, and then this one is, is cute to me. It's James said, if you want a front row seat for a temper tantrum, my three-year-old just asked me for warm ice. <laughs> try, try explaining why, why he's not getting warm ice. Ice, right? And then finally, uh, I love this one. Uh, uh, this mom said, uh, my son just asked if I'd pay to watch his stuffed animals fight. I think he'd be a little too comfortable in a life of crime. Like, like it's four, four years old. I, I, I love that, right? So it's not, life is not about asking any question. Life is about asking the right questions. And I'm going to say that's especially true in marriage. There are a few questions that you have to ask that once you have been married for a minute can make all the difference in your marriage because you do know there's this point in your marriage where there, there's absolutely no wrong in your marriage, right? It may have been over in a day, but you at least probably had a day of it, right? When, when everything's good in your marriage, you've got no complaints in your marriage. You've got, if somebody were to look at you, ma'am, at that point in your life and said to you, what would you want to change about your husband? You would have said absolutely nothing. And if I ask you, husband, if, if, what would you want to change about your wife back in the day, you would have said absolutely nothing. If you're smart, you'd say that today if you were asked too. There's that point in marriage where there are no complaints, there is no wrong, there are no changes necessary, but we are all people and eventually that fades I heard about it fading for one husband and wife and the husband says man every time we get in an argument and we get into literally a fight you never fight back how do you manage your anger so well and the wife said uh, no problem at all when we get in that fight I just go and clean the toilet seat clean the toilet out really well he said how in the world does that help you cleaning the toilet she said pretty simply I use your toothbrush when I do it You get to that point, you have some issues, right? You get to that point where things are not going well, and so what do you do about it? What do you do about it when things are not going well? Well, I tell you, you can ignore, you can ignore the reality and pretend everything's okay and let your marriage keep deteriorating. You can ignore the reality and just let your marriage sink into the doldrums of life you can confront it and just blow it up and wind up with a broken marriage. Or you can ask yourself a couple of powerful questions and do something about it. So the next two weeks, I want us to do that. And I want us to start today with the beyond question. Here's what I mean by the beyond question. Here it is. Am I willing to move beyond the hurt and disappointment in my marriage? Am I willing to move beyond the hurt and disappointment in my marriage? One of the number one killers of marriage 
is the inability of you or your spouse to move beyond the hurt that has happened in your marriage. Can I just tell you this? If you've not been married long, can I just tell you this? You will get hurt in your marriage. Two people cannot live together under the same roof without hurting one another from time to time. But get this, it is typically, it won't be the hurt that destroys the marriage. It is the inability to move beyond the hurt that destroys the marriage. There's rarely an event that causes a marriage to be destroyed. What causes a marriage to be destroyed is the inability to move beyond that event, the inability to go beyond that event, because you are going to face hurt in your marriage. You are going to face hurt in your relationship. The, the question is, can you move beyond it, or are you going to let it destroy your marriage? So that's the beyond question today. Am I able to move beyond. And some of you would say, preacher, you don't know the depths of my hurt. And you're right. I do not know the depths of your hurt, but I do know that the Bible is full of advice on moving beyond hurt in our lives. And some of you are here today and you are hurt. You have been hurt by your husband. You have been hurt by your wife. You have been hurt by your marriage. And you're saying to me, how in the world do I get beyond that hurt of your marriage? But I want to tell you that hurt is what's destroying your marriage. You say, no, preacher, what he did to me, what she did to me, and I get it, that was terrible, but that's not it. Most of the time, we're holding on to that event from ages ago, years ago. It is now the hurt that's destroying your marriage. It's the hurt that's keeping your marriage from having the joy it ought to have. It's the hurt that's keeping your marriage from having the love it ought to experience. It's the hurt that's keeping your marriage from the passion and the excitement and the intimacy that your marriage ought to have. It's not the event. It's the question, can you get beyond the hurt? So can I give you six different ways the Bible speaks to us getting beyond our hurt in our relationships? Number one, I want to tell you this. Number one, you have to move beyond your right to retaliation. You say, well, preacher, how do I, how do I get beyond this hurt. Well, Romans 12, 17 tells us how. Look what it says. Do not repay anyone, that would include your husband or your wife, evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Now, when you go to Romans chapter 12, here's what you have to know. That Paul is addressing a group of people who have been hurt by society. When Christians left Jerusalem uh, during the persecution, after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, they, they established churches in other areas, including Rome, and they weren't exactly welcome when they went to the, those other uh, places. For example, four years before Paul wrote the book of Romans, something had come down in Rome called the Edict of Claudius. Claudius was the Roman emperor at the time, and he had ordered all the Jews exiled and banned from Rome. Here's why. He mistakenly thought that Christianity was just another branch of Judaism and that they were causing an uprising in Rome. So he banned all of the Jews, and, and uh, with it, the Christians at the time, from uh, Rome. As a matter of fact, all that was left in Rome were the Gentile believers as all the Jews had to leave the place of Rome. And so what happened is, because of the audit edict of Claudius, hostility developed towards Christians. Here's, here was the reasoning by the, by the Romans. Well, if the state could persecute Christians, then we can persecute Christians. 
In all probability, they were, they were um, uh, uh, enduring terrible persecution on themselves by society and by the state. Here's what Paul said, good word for us in our day. While the state was persecuting the Christians, while the, while the world was persecuting the Christians, in the midst of all of that, in this edict of Claudius, you go back and you have this verse, Romans 12, 17, do not repay evil for evil. You say, preacher, what should I do in a society where the government is against me? You don't repay evil for evil. What should I do when the world is against me? You don't repay evil for evil. But that verse can be taken beyond that. Paul said, don't just repay, don't, don't, do, don't just not repay evil for evil. Paul said, you do what's honorable, say this word with me, in whose eyes? Everyone's eyes. You be an honorable person of character no matter what. You don't retaliate, but you act good in everyone's eyes. Now, get this. They had the right to retaliate. By the way, they probably had the desire to retaliate. But here's the problem with retaliation. Once you retaliate, the retaliation becomes the issue instead of the hurt that was the issue. And you distort the real problem in your relationship and is that ever true in our marriage has there ever been a verse that applies to marriage more when we start thinking well I have the right to retaliate look at what she did to me I have the right to retaliate look at what he did to me and Paul said no when you retaliate in your in your relationships in your marriage listen it's the retaliation that's going to wind up being the issue not the hurt and you wind up distorting the real problem. Football, football season is on us, and uh, NFL kicked off Thursday, really starts today. But there's a saying in the NFL that fits this, uh, this, this scenario so well. In the NFL, they have this saying, it's the second punch that always draws the flag. It's the second punch. that. I, what, what does that mean, preacher? Here's what it means. That normally when you get uh, a couple 300-pound guys in a pile on the ground, somebody's punching somebody just because that's what you're supposed to do when you're down on the ground in a pile of people. But it's when they get heated and some guy can get in a cheap shot that nobody sees and he never, ever gets a flag. You know who gets called for the penalty? The guy who throws the punch after the first guy threw the punch. It's always the second punch flag it's always the second punch that gets the flag and can I tell you it really is the same as true in our relationships in our marriage yes I know he did you wrong yes I know she did you wrong yes I know they hurt you and listen hear me I'm telling you you have the right to retaliate you deserve the right to retaliate yes you even wrote to retaliate and here's what Paul said do not do it. Move beyond retaliation in your relationship. You do what is honorable. You do what is good. You go the extra mile. Do not get stuck in, a, in that tit-for-tat mode in your marriage where, well, she did it, and so now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to respond, and now he did it, and now I'm going to respond, and now she did it, and now I'm going to respond. And listen, you have got to break free of that. And if you want to have a marriage that works and soars, you've got to move beyond the right to retaliate and that's the question you have to ask yourself 
And I, am I willing to move beyond the right to retaliate for what they've done to me? And some of you here today, and you've been hurt by your spouse, and it's been a long time ago, and it was an incident that should not have happened. It was something they said. It was something they did. They hurt you in some way, and you're still holding on for it, waiting for your moment to get back at them. Move beyond it. Move beyond it. Second thing the Bible would tell us is this. Move beyond your right to find fault. Proverbs 17, 9, whoever conceals an offense promotes love. There's two ways to look at that Proverbs. I'm going to go with really almost the least used way. The first way says is to view the verse as a verse on forgiveness, right? That would work in my sermon too. Whoever forgives an offense promotes love. That is one way to, to interpret it. Another way to interpret the verse, and, and commentators split about 60-40 on it, the best I could tell, is, is that it's a verse about finding fault. Now, I want to use it that way. When, when it's a verse about finding fault, it really means whoever conceals an offense or whoever overlooks an offense, or whoever ignores an offense. You want to move beyond and build a great marriage? Let me tell you how to do that. You've got to give up your right to constantly find fault in your spouse. Move beyond the right. Can, can I say this about hurt people? You, you're here today. You've been hurt in your marriage. Hurt people are always looking for fault. And they'll always find it. Can I tell you this? That if you're looking for fault, you'll never ever see the good in your spouse. If all you've got are your fault antenna up and your fault antenna are high and they've hurt you and now you're waiting for them to do it again and you're waiting for them to say something again and you're waiting for them to do something again, that's all you're ever going to see. And here's what Proverbs said, instead of looking for a fault, overlook a fault. And when you overlook a fault, the Bible says you promote love. You can't produce love in a marriage that is only focused on faults. Because when you get focused on faults, that's all you're ever going to see. I'm going I'm to give you a test this morning. I'm going to show you a video this morning. It's just a few seconds long. And it's a bunch of people passing a basketball. And here's what I want you to do. Will, will you play along with me? Will everybody play along with me? I want you to count the number of times people in white pass a basketball. All right? We'll see who wins. We'll see who gets close. All right? Count the number of times, and you have to do it, it happens quickly, so I want you to hang up with me, and I want you to keep up with me, all right? Everybody ready? If you're ready, say amen. You ready? All right, you're going to count the number of times people in white pass a basketball. Go. All right, how many passes did you count? What's the, anybody know the answer? 14, 16, 13. Who cares? A monkey walked across the stage. Did you see the monkey? How many of you really saw the monkey? You promised under God you saw, so some of you did. First time somebody showed me that video, I'm like, what monkey? I didn't see a monkey. You know why you don't see the monkey? It's because we're so focused on something else, a gorilla walks in front of us and we don't even see the gorilla. How many of you, I want you to be honest, 
Because I didn't see it the first time. How many of you did not see a gorilla on the screen? See, that's what I thought. Now, now I'm going to go back. I'm going to see. I don't know if I can do this or not. I'm going to try to go back. Go back, guys. Start the video again. There you go. Now, just watch. You counting basketball passes by people in white shirts. Nobody cares. You see that monkey? No, he's not there yet. Just kidding. You, what, you're about to see a gorilla. See, there's a gorilla. <laughs> he beat his chest in the middle of the video. He beat his chest. I, I love that so much. Do not tell the next service. Hear me? Do not tell them. Do not tell them. You know what happens in marriage? That people get folks so focused on one thing, they miss the big thing. And when you get so focused on finding fault because you've been hurt, you get so focused on finding fault because you've been disappointed, then your spouse, your husband, your wife, they can be doing all these good things, but you'll never see it. Why? You are focused on finding fault. Here's what I'm telling you. Proverbs said, look, conceal the faults of your spouse. Get get your focus off finding the faults of your husband, off finding the faults of your wife. Because when you do that, you cannot see any good in them. And when all you see is fault in marriage, the marriage is headed downhill. You know what you do? You you don't give yourself permission to find fault. You move beyond it. Hear me, you pray about it. Or you have the audacity to let it go, conceal the false. You say, preacher, what if it's something big? You know, it, it almost never is in marriage. It's not the big things that kill most marriages. The little things we get fixated on, we can't move beyond. Number three, ask yourself the move, move beyond question. Am I willing to move beyond the right to hold a grudge? I have bad news for you if you like to hold grudges. When you became a Christian, you lost the right to hold a grudge. Jesus took it away from you on the cross when he forgave you, and we don't have a right to hold a grudge against anyone, especially, especially our spouses. Look what the Bible says in Colossians 3, 12. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone have his grievance against you, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. So many marriages are in trouble because one spouse is holding a grudge from a past hurt and they will not let it go and move forward. Listen, I know, I'm not even questioning. I know you were wronged. I know you were hurt. I know you were crushed. But holding a grudge is drinking poison and hoping that your spouse dies. You're only killing yourself. Have people say to me, a preacher, well, preacher, it's just not going to work out. I'm not going to be able to get beyond it. That's, that's gross. Can I tell you how this plays out if you don't fix it right now? Here's how it plays out. You're hurt, and you can't move beyond the hurt, so you're holding a grudge. Because of that, your marriage falls apart, and it winds up any, ending in divorce. Hold on. You marry someone else, but the problem is you bring all of that emotional baggage with you to the second marriage or the next marriage. And then you know what happens in that next marriage? Hurt happens again. You say, preacher, I don't, I don't think the next time around, I think I'll marry a perfect person the next time around. I'm sure you will if you ever find one. You say, well, how, how, how do you know I'm going to get hurt? I'll tell you how I know you're going to get hurt. People are people. That's how I know you're going to get hurt. And so you know what's going to happen after that happens again? 
you're going to repeat this whole process again or you're going to choose to live in misery. That's the cycle. That's the cycle. You have got to move beyond the right to hold a grudge. That's your option. Or what else can I do? Here's what else you can do. You can leave the grudge and bitterness at the foot of the cross where Jesus left his. Because when Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Listen, that was not just for the soldiers who were there mocking him and casting lots for his clothes. That was for you and that was for me and that was for every one of us in this room. And by the way, can I say this? If you've already been divorced because of hurt, can I say this? Somebody may need to hear this today. Let the grudge go. You're only going to hurt yourself, your kids, your situation you're currently in if you don't. Move beyond the right to hold a grudge. Number four, I've got to move a little faster. Number four, you've got to move beyond your right to keep score. Here's what the Bible says. Ooh, this hard verse, I'm telling you. We, and we want to apply it to everywhere but marriage, right? We want to apply it to work. We want to apply it to church. No better place to apply Matthew 18 to marriage where Peter approached Jesus and asked him, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times. And now I want to be honest, I'm not preaching this passage. I could today. It's awesome. Uh, P- Peter thought he was being oversaved, super spiritual. By saying seven times. Because nobody would forgive somebody seven times for the same thing. And so Peter, here's what Peter thought would happen. Peter thought Jesus was going to put his arm around him and say, Peter, you are the most spiritual person I know. Instead, Jesus said, I'll tell you what, Peter, Peter, not, not, not seven times. How about this? Seventy times seven. And I'm sure Peter thought 490 times, that is excessive, Lord. Excessive. But Jesus, Jesus didn't say 490 times. You're getting hung up on the math. Jesus was telling Peter as many times as possible. And here's the point he's trying to make. Peter, quit keeping score in your relationships. And can I say quit keeping score in your marriage what's a scorekeeper in a marriage I'll, I'll give you phrases of a scorekeeper well I always forgive first I always apologize first you never try to make our marriage better you start every fight you always do this that's a marriage scorekeeper And they don't have a sheet of paper, they may, they don't have a sheet of paper, but in their minds they're always keeping a running tally of how much better they are than their spouse is. And whether you actually say those things out loud or not, many husbands and wives are absolutely keeping score in their heart. And scorekeepers can't move beyond their hurt because they have a ledger and a tally of how badly they've been hurt. And if you keep a ledger of wrong, hear me, the debit column is always going to show you how much you're owed. That's not the way of a Christian. What's the way of a Christian? Oh, it's a beautiful verse. Colossians 2.14. It says, Jesus erased the certificate of death with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. He erased the score when he saved us and when he died on the cross and rose again. Quit keeping score 
in your marriage. Let me show you the fifth thing. Number five, he'd tell us this. If your marriage is going to be better, you've got to move beyond the right to say you've done no wrong. You've got to move beyond the right to say you've done no wrong. Look what he says in Matthew chapter 11, Mark chapter 11. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven will also forgive you. Get this, follow me, your wrongdoing. Everybody say it with me. Let's say this. Say my wrongdoing. Ready? My wrongdoing. How many of you have ever done wrong? Let me see your hand. Can I get a, can I get a testimony? That's all of us, right? When a marriage has gone bad, there are always two people to blame. You don't have the right to sit in a glass house and throw stones at the other spouse. You have to move beyond that. And here's how, listen, I've, I've done marriage counseling for almost three decades now. And can I tell you, this is how most uh, uh, spouses admit they're wrong. Here, here's what they say. They say, preacher, I've know I, I know I've done some things that are wrong, but let me tell you what they've done. And it's, it's the, it's this, I know very specifically what's wrong with my spouse and I must not be perfect either. You know what? I never have a spouse sit down and talk to me one-on-one that tells me in detail what they've done wrong. You know what they always do? They tell me in general that they're not perfect and then tell me in detail what the other person has done wrong. And here's where you've got to get in your marriage. You've got to ask yourself the beyond question. Are you willing to move beyond your right to say you've done no wrong? This is actually a way of admitting no wrong. You have to move beyond that. You have to get to the place where you're willing to admit you've wronged, you've been wrong, you've made mistake, and you have things you need to work on. And when you move beyond it, your marriage will be better once you acknowledge it and move forward. And then number six, I'm finished. If you want your marriage to be the kind of marriage it ought to be, you've got to ask yourself, are you willing to move beyond your desire to withhold love? First Peter 4, 8, and above all, maintain constant love for one another since love covers a multitude of sins. The Bible uses the word, man, it's a powerful word, it's constant love. It means steadfast, continually, unceasing. Here's what happens when there's hurt in a marriage. The offended party shuts down, closes off, and withdraws love. And it's the silent killer in marriage. Peter said, maintain constant love. The word is sometimes translated. That word constant there is such a beautiful word. I got to dive into it a little bit working on this sermon. And sometimes it's translated amazing, astounding, or astonishing. Amazing, astounding, or astonishing. Follow me. Above all, maintain amazing love for one another. Above all, maintain constant love for one another above all maintain astonishing love for one another above all maintain uh, amazing love for one another listen love will cover the multitude of sin that's the kind of love your marriage needs astonishing constant love love that perseveres even in the face of difficulty love that perseveres even in the face of hurt love that perseveres during the hard time love that doesn't withhold love that doesn't run dry love that 
is amazing and unceasing, and there's nothing that can destroy that. Nothing. Nothing. It's the beyond question. You say, preacher, you're, you're, you're talking to the offended party today. I know I am. I know I am. But oftentimes it's the person who's offended that winds up destroying the marriage. Ask yourself the question, are you willing to move beyond your right to retaliation? Are you willing to move beyond your right to find fault, the right to hold a grudge, the right to keep score, the right to say you've done no wrong? Are you willing to move beyond your right, your desire to withhold love? Close your Bibles and I'm I'm finished. This little village in Transylvania called Beerton. At the heart of a village, you can see it right here. At the very heart of a village is this 15th century fortified church uh, that is uh, on a hilltop. Inside the church grounds in one of its fortification walls is a small building with a room that, that's barely larger than a pantry. Here's the room today. It's a room barely larger than a pantry. Now, hold on. You, you, I want you to hear the story. For 300 years, couples whose marriages were on the rocks would find themselves here locked away for up to six weeks by the local priest while they were forced to iron out their problems and avert a divorce. It may sound like a nightmare, but here's what happened. A couple would come to the priest and say, we just don't think we're going to make it. He said, I got a great idea. See, I got a place for you to work that out. Where? He said, I'm going to lock you in a tiny room together. Lock them in a tiny room together. The bed that's in the room, you can see it over. These are just uh, dummies that are in there today. Uh, The bed over here, they say, is barely big enough for a small child in the room. They would be locked in the room together to murder, no, to iron out their marital problems while they were there. Everything had to be shared. I love this. There was only one pillow. There was only one blanket. And there was only one piece of silverware and one plate. Everything was in the singular. And they locked them in the room together. In three hundred years. Three hundred years. Beerton had experienced one divorce in the entire town. Couples today have pilgrimage to this place who are having hard times and have asked the priest to lock them in the room together until they could work things out. Stand with me across the room. I don't need to lock you in a room. I can. I don't need to lock you in a room, though. You know why? You just need to go home, get together, and move beyond your hurt. Here it is. This question will change your marriage today. Are you willing to move beyond the hurt? Listen, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, our staff's going to be down here at the Next Step stations. If you're watching online, Jeremy's got a word for you online. Thank you for tuning in today online. 
Pastor Joel, thank you so much for that challenging message. You know, when we hear there's going to be a message on marriage, man, as husbands, maybe we think, man, I, I want to hear that passage of Scripture that talks about how my wife needs to submit to me. Or maybe as a wife, we say, I want to hear that passage about how my husband is supposed to love me like Jesus loved the church. And those are great passages when it comes to marriage. But today what we heard is how we need to surrender our rights. We need to surrender our rights. And what we heard is passages of Scripture that talk about Christian living and talk about how we're supposed to treat each other. Here's what happens often in marriage. We, we treat people outside our home better than we treat the people inside our home. And while this message is primarily to Christians, man, I, I've been challenged this morning um, to, to fix some things in my own life. And I hope you've been challenged that way too as a believer. Maybe you're watching this morning and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. Here's what I'm going to tell you. You can't make it in your marriage without the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And there's only one way to get the Holy Spirit living inside of you, and that is to put your faith and trust in Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And that begins with you understanding that you're a sinner. If you, as you're listening to the message this morning, you probably were convicted of your, of your sins and your shortcomings. We've got to be willing to admit that we're sinners. We've got to believe that Jesus died on the cross. The blood that He shed on the cross paid for all the sins that we've ever done and all the sins that we'll ever do. We've got to believe that. And then thirdly, we've got to confess Him as our Lord and Savior. And that looks like telling God this. If you this morning want to put your faith and trust in Jesus, right here, right now, right in your living room, tell God this, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And God, I'm sorry for my sin. I believe that Jesus came, He lived, He died, He was buried, and on the third day He rose again. And in doing that, He conquered my sin for me. Lord, I ask You to come into my heart, take away my sin, be my Savior. Lord, I give my life to You. In Jesus' name, if you prayed that prayer this morning and you meant it with all your heart, we want to help you. We want to help you take next steps on your faith journey. We want you to know, hey, you're not alone in this faith journey with Jesus. And so if you would, pull out your cell phone and text just your name to 423-800-0000. One eight seven one. That's four two three eight hundred eighteen seventy one. That's my cell phone number. Uh, just text me your name, man. I want to connect with you this week and put some resources in your hands that'll help you take next steps with Jesus. It's been awesome to be in God's house this morning. It's been uh, we've had such a wonderful time of worship and word. And man, I can't wait to see you next week. God bless you. Have a great week. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening. <music>